What's up, everyone? Welcome back. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Faden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. You can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, great to be back with you all this week. Had a uh, great last week uh, with the podcast. Great talking to um, Evan Greasing. I guess Friday last week, uh, always great to talk baseball uh, with Evan. Um, you know, always been a huge passion of his, so really nice to um, get to talk with him last week. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, you know, talking about the trade deadline, which is uh, tomorrow, August 2nd. And, uh, you know, we'll talk more about that when we talk about the Red Sox. But, um, again, thanks to Evan for coming back on. Um, you know, I told you guys on the social medias that, uh, be making a uh, big announcement for the show. So, uh, guess Friday for the next four weeks is going uh, full football mode. Um, as we open the month of August, training camp's underway. You know, football season is now in full swings. So we'll be going uh, all football for our next four guest Fridays. Uh, this week, I'll be talking with uh, Andrew Lydon, one of my good friends, who uh, came with me to Patriots training camp on Saturday. Uh, on Saturday morning, so we'll be talking about that, talking about our experience uh, later this week, I guess Friday for next week. Um, I'll talk more about this um, on the social pages in the next couple of days. Next week, we're doing a uh, Patriots preseason mailbag, so uh, feel free to send in your questions, uh, any questions you have about the Patriots this season, um, and I will answer them. Uh, probably we'll put that episode out on uh, Thursday, the day of the Patriots' first preseason game. Um, so definitely we'll highlight that on the social media pages. And then the two weeks after that, uh, we're going to go a little more uh, toward the NFL side. We're going to do a fantasy football episode. Um, and then obviously the big one, we'll do a, a season preview. Um, the Probably the first week, that's the end of August, beginning of September, we'll do that. And then we'll uh, be almost ready for the season. So uh, looking forward for the next, looking forward to the next four weeks on Guest Friday, where we'll be going all football. So really excited. Uh, so naturally, uh, that is where we are going to start today, uh, talking about the Patriots who had their first week of practice last week, or first week of training camp, I should say, um, uh, training without pads. Uh, you know, obviously it's, uh, you know, fun to go to training camp. This was actually my first experience going um, on Saturday. So uh, it was definitely a great experience. You know, can't wait to talk more about that um, on Guest Friday. But obviously, first week of training camp, you know, no pads, just uh, shells and shorts, as they say. Um, so, you know, hard to really take a lot of hard to take a lot of hard hard to take a lot into account um, when you're watching practices without pads where, you know, it's kind of just, the guys aren't going full speed, you know, it's not really as high intensity as maybe the fully padded practices are gonna get this week. And um, we'll give you some updates from camp uh, so far this morning. Um, but I think clearly, you know, it's hard to make assumptions about anything uh, without pads on. You know, obviously it's fun, it's exciting entertainment when they do you know, the red zone drills and things like that. You know, you get an opportunity to see some of the new guys, you know, Devontae Parker in particular, 
uh, some of the guys in the secondary, you kind of get to see some of their skill. You know, it was interesting that the defensive backs, they had them wearing, you know, oven mitts to try to, you know, knock the ball out. I'm not really sure what they actually used those for, but you may have noticed uh, if you made your way out to camp last week or um, if you saw any clips, you know, the defensive backs were wearing those. You know, you also may have noticed the offensive and defensive linemen and the tight ends wearing those caps on top of the helmet. You know, allegedly they're there for player safety, although, you know, one of the defensive linemen for the Patriots, I think it was Devon Godshaw, who actually just got a new contract last week, um, mentioned that, you know, it might not be totally safe because, you know, it's adding more weight to a player's head. So, you know, I thought that that comment was kind of interesting. So, you know, obviously we're not going to be here talking about player safety the whole time, but um, I did think that that was an interesting comment that he made. Um, so again, you know, great to get out to training camp last week. Um, you know, a little bummed out that I couldn't go uh, any days this week to, you know, see the full pads, but it was definitely a fun experience. You know, can't wait to talk more about that later this week. But, you know, one of the things that I think I'm excited about and I think a lot of people are excited about is the potential um, that this offense has. And I think based on some of the really solid performances you got from a few guys last year. Um, you know, Hunter Henry was really outstanding. Uh, Kendrick Bourne had a really good season. You know, I think that he was one of the most underrated free agent signings um, of the offseason last year in the entire league, um, and he played well. You know, Jacoby Myers obviously had a nice season. You know, you saw a great breakout year from Ramondre Stevenson in his first year. You know, and it's interesting because... I think specifically with the Patriots, you don't always see rookie players being able to make an impact right away. You know, he did exceptionally well. You know, Damian Harris really kind of came into his own last year, you know, stayed healthy for the most part um, and had another really strong season. But I think just adding a player um, of Devontae Parker's athleticism and just the way that he plays or his athleticism, his physicality, just, you know, looking at the guy 6'3", 220 about, and really gives this offense another added element and another, you know, added player that can make this group a lot more dangerous, you know, and I think you're hoping you can get more out of Johnny Smith, more out of Nelson Aguilar this season. Um, but I think that the thing with this offense is, you know, with the addition of Parker, this offense now has multiple ways that it can attack you. You know, you can have a really strong running game with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. You know, you can have strong a strong tight end down the middle of the field. Hunter Henry, you know, who's strong in the red zone. You can have an athletic tight end like Johnny Smith that can line up anywhere on the field. You know, you can have a receiver like Nelson Aguilar who has great speed that can take the top off the defense. You can have... You know, receivers underneath that are great at moving the change, moving the chains, Aguilar, uh, Myers and Bourne, you know, and now you have this, you know, big bodied physical athletic receiver that can make plays over the middle of the field, can make plays to move the chains, can make plays in the red zone, um, you know, can win those one-on-one -on -one matchups, can win those jump balls in the end zone. And I think you know, if, if Devontae can stay fully healthy, Devontae Parker, if he can stay fully healthy, 
Um, this offense, I think, really has a chance to be a really, really good group, and I think, you know, could become one of the better groups in the NFL, you know, if everything works the way that it should. You know, I think that, obviously, a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, how the offense works together with Joe Judge and Patricia and Mac Jones, you know, how that all comes together. Um, you know, one of the comments that, or one of the things I gleaned from uh, Mac's press conference after one of the practices last week um, is that it's a lot of a collaborative approach. And I think that, you know, that might be the best option that they have. Um, but I think also giving Mac a chance to have some input in what's going on. And I think, you know, yeah, it's a lot to ask for a second year pro, but I think the way that they're going about this makes a lot of sense. You know, the way that some of the players have talked about the offense being faster or simpler or, you know, more streamlined, I think is just going to make things a lot easier for this offense. And not to say that Josh McDaniel's system was too complicated, not trying to say that, but there might be something to be said for, okay, maybe they're simplifying things a little bit. Because I did think at times last year, and I think a lot of people would agree, the Patriots tended to kind of overthink things. And uh, Josh McDaniels, you know, had some issues calling plays in key situations. Um, you know, you can turn to whether it was bad execution or whatever, but I think that you might see an offense that might be able to take a bigger step this year uh, based on the, the offense maybe being a little more simplified. Um, so obviously, as we said, you know, pads are coming on this week. Um, so I think it's really kind of a time where you'll be able to really kind of tell who might be ahead in certain position battles. You know, I think talking about the offense, a lot of the roles on offense, I think, are pretty, you know, set in stone that you kind of know, okay, you know, who's probably going to be the number one, number two. I mean, there might be some guys on the outside that might make the roster um, that it could end up being an interesting battle. You know, I think specifically, you know, that wide receiver spot after the top four of Parker, Bourne, Myers, and Aguilar. Um, and that's obviously bearing a trade. But I think, you know, who wins that fifth wide receiver spot? You know, do they carry six receivers? You know, is there a battle for the fifth spot between Tyquan Thornton um, and Trey Nixon? You know, is Christian Wilkerson also in that group as well? So, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing to look at. To take a look at the fifth wide receiver, sixth wide receiver. Do they carry five or six receivers? Uh, that's going to be kind of interesting. But I think for the most part, the skill position guys, you kind of know who's going to be, you know, who, who's going to be the key guy in those positions. You know, you might see Ty Montgomery or Pierre Strong Jr. make a big impact this week, and maybe they are kind of a James White, or in the James White role, you know, being that third down pass catching guy. Um, Ty Montgomery, you know, obviously is a pretty, is, is a fairly seasoned pro at this point, you know, played with Green Bay, um, played with New Orleans, I think last year. So I think that, you know, other than those two spots, I really think the offense is kind of set. You know, I think the, the group of five um, offensive linemen, you know, Isaiah Wynn, Going from left to right, Isaiah Wynn, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Michael, Michael Wenu, and Trent Brown, that's most likely going to be your 
five-man unit. You know, there might be some other guys that, you know, factor factor their way in. You know, James Ferentz, I think, is a guy that can fill in on the interior. Um, but I really think that those five guys are probably going to be your starting line to start the year. I mean, I think unless there's someone that surprises in training camp, I think that that's what the combination is going to be. Looking at the defense, I think that's where the position battles are going to be most interesting to see. Um, I think that cornerback is probably the most interesting spot. You know, I think that clearly Jalen Mills, I think, will be kind of that number one guy, which I think is, it's, it's an ask. It's a big ask for him. Um, but I think that he can handle it. You know, I think in his job as the number two corner last year did pretty well. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot to ask, you know, if he's the number one and being asked to cover, you know, some of the, the number one receivers, whether it's um, uh, like a Deontay Johnson from Pittsburgh, um, like a Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, um, you know, guys like that. You know, I think that I kind of hesitate to say Tyreek Hill. Um, because he's kind of more of a, a guy that I think Jonathan Jones would be more likely to, to, to cover. Um, but I think in terms of like your number one outside guy, it's probably going to be Jalen Mills. Now the second, the number two guy, the guy on the other side, you know, it's probably going to be a battle between a guy like Terrence Mitchell. You know, Malcolm Butler will probably be in there as well. Uh, Jack Jones, Juwan Williams, uh, Sean Wade. I don't know if I just said his name, but you know, it's going to be kind of a competition between those guys. Um, you know, Jonathan Jones, Miles Bryant, I think are more of kind of the slot guys that are going to be, you know, covering guys on the inside, I think on the outside. As far as what I've seen or have been able to tell so far, it seems like Terrence Mitchell has had a really good training camp. And so he might have at the moment the inside track to kind of have that number two corner spot. Um, and I think that that would be great because I think, you know, as much as, and someone tweeted something like this the other day that I thought was really interesting, you know, the Patriots obviously lost JC Jackson and I think, you know, it's a big loss, but it's like, you kind of might have some decent depth at this cornerback position because it's like last year it really seemed like outside of your top guys, you know, Mills and, um, Jackson last year, you know, you had signing guys like Michael Jackson and D Virgin. And it's like, you might honestly be in better shape with guys like Malcolm Butler, Sean Wade, Jack Jones, Marcus Jones, Juwan Williams, you know, you might actually be in better shape than you were. You know, it might be more of a, you know, spreading out the talent rather than having like one guy who's dominant. Um, you can have a group of guys who might be strong. I mean, I think that is the hope. You know, that's the goal that those guys can be, you know, solid enough that you don't feel like you're losing a huge piece in J.C. Jackson. And look, you probably are, you know, you are losing a really good player in J.C. Jackson. You know, he was a guy that could come up with big interceptions at big moments. But I still think that this group might actually be a decent group. It might not be as bad as maybe we think they might be. Um so I'm kind of curious about, you know, what we end up seeing days or on days this week, you know, if there's someone that 
people feel have like an inside track for anything. Um, one of the interesting things of uh, the uh, start of training camp with pads this week, um, a couple of guys were activated off of the physically unable to perform list, the PUP list, um, Jonathan Jones and um, Miles Bryant uh, were both activated today and they are both practicing um, courtesy of uh, some people that are covering Patriots camp on, on Twitter. Um, Alex Barth is a great person to follow, um, writes and talks for uh, 98.5 um, and he's been at training camp all the days, a great, great person to follow on Twitter for the latest updates. So, you know, he and a couple of other people reporting that both uh, Jones and Bryant were on the field, which is great to see. Um, I think Jabril Peppers was also on the field as well. So uh, really huge that the Patriots can get those guys into the swing of things. You know, pads coming on really is kind of when, is kind of when people, I think, feel that it's the official start to training camp. That, you know, yeah, the previous week is a good way to, get guys acclimated, but once you get the pads on, that's really when you start to see, you know, position battles, kind of high intensity uh, types of things. So, you know, the cornerback, the secondary is going to be very interesting uh, this year, but I do think that if we get back to kind of the secondary, Terrence Mitchell, um, I think does have a very good chance to come out of camp with that number two cornerback position. Um, another position on defense that I think a lot of people have been talking about is linebacker um, and what that what that position is going to look like this year. You know, obviously you have Matthew Judon, Juwan Bentley, you know, those are kind of going to be the guys that are still going to be the big time players. You know, Judon's kind of their number one pass rusher. Uh, Bentley is a huge uh, player in kind of the, stopping the run game. You know, he's a great tackler, not so much of a coverage guy, you know, he can do it. Um, but I think the Patriots are hoping that they might get some other players to kind of jump in there. Raquan McMillan, Mac Wilson, Anthony Jennings, you know, t all three of those guys, you know, were not really with the team at any point. You know, Anthony Jennings missed the entire season. Raquan McMillan missed the entire season. Um, and then Mac Wilson obviously was on a different team last year. So, I think that those group of three, that's going to be interesting to see how those guys do. Um, I think they're really important to what the Patriots might be trying to do in terms of getting coverage linebackers. Um, you know, Jennings is a guy that I think that I'm still really high on. You know, I think that playing at Alabama, playing against that top competition will serve him well. I'm hoping that he can have kind of a breakout season this year. Um, and then I think in terms of pass rushing, you know, the Patriots are hoping that they can get a lot more out of Josh Uche this year. They can get some out of Ronnie Perkins, who didn't really play much last year. Um, so I'm kind of curious about, you know, those two guys in terms of the pass rushing, because I think that the Patriots really are in need of a consistent rusher opposite Matt Judon, um, because they just think at times the Patriots were just kind of too reliant on him to try to make plays. And I think they need another guy or two to be able to be consistent enough in rushing the quarterback, getting in the backfield and making plays. Um, so I think that's a position that I think is going to be most interesting um, along with cornerback. I think those are the two 
biggest positions that the Patriots are hoping that certain guys can have a strong camp and, you know, be productive enough that they can be performers for the next, uh, for the upcoming season. So, you know, I think I mentioned running back as well. That's kind of an interesting position with um, James White still on the PUP list, you know, recovering from the hip injury. So I'm curious to see if someone like Pierre Strong Jr. has a good training camp that the Patriots maybe give him a roster spot um, when the season gets closer. So obviously I mentioned that uh, Devon Godshot signed um, a two-year, a new two-year deal with the Patriots. Um, the Patriots also announced another signing this morning, uh, coming to terms with Jake Bailey, the punter, giving him a four-year deal. I think it's six, I think it's six and a half million guaranteed. I think the total was four years for thirteen million and change. So the Patriots clearly, you know, still believe in Jake Bailey. You know, I think some of the numbers may have been a little bit down last year. Um, in terms of the kickoffs and the punts, but, you know, did also have, you know, the punt blocks, you know, may not be totally on him. You know, hope the Patriots can get the special teams to be a little bit stronger this year. Um, but Patriots, you know, not allowing uh, a punting competition to take place at training camp with uh, the new deal for Bailey. So hopefully he can get off to a better start this season, have a better year. I mean, clearly the Patriots think so with the new deal. So exciting stuff for uh, Jake Bailey, Pro Bowl, and uh, an All-Pro in 2020. So hopefully the Patriots, hope he, or hopefully he can get back to uh, playing at that level. The Patriots certainly would hope so. So I think that's probably going to do it for the Patriots. Um, obviously, you can check Twitter all this week for the uh, when the Patriots are practicing, you know, Alex Barth is a great follow, but plenty of other people that are covering training camp this week are, are good follows as well. So uh, make sure you're paying attention if you're interested. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk more about Patriots training camp. And uh, the day that I went specifically, we'll talk more about that uh, later this week on Guest Friday. So we're going to uh, move to baseball talk a little uh, Red Sox with uh, the trade deadline as we mentioned coming up tomorrow Red Sox have not made any trades so far um, so I think you know as, as Evan and I talked about last week it's 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 hard to know what to expect with this team you know I think that you look at how poorly they played in the month of July you know eight and 19. I think kind of just uh, everything snowballed and everything just got worse. You know, poor play, you know, injuries hitting the team at the worst possible time. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, through all of that, through that awful month and the fact that the Red Sox are sitting in last place, they're only three and a half games out of a playoff spot. And, you know, it's hard to really make a, a declaration about where this team is. You know, I think that it's obviously for me, you know, I don't really think that they're capable of being a contending team the rest of the season. 
you know, given the way that they've recently played and the way they've played against division teams, that you're going to be playing a lot between now and the end of the season. So, you know, that part of me is not optimistic. But, you know, I think there is another part of me, though, that thinks that, okay, there are some guys that could return on this um, upcoming road trip the Red Sox have. You know, Michael Waka, Rich Hill, Rafael Devers, you know, Christian Arroyo has already returned. Um, I think, I feel like there's there's someone else that I'm forgetting, but either way, you know, those are some solid reinforcements that could be on the way. So, you know, I don't know. Do the Red Sox still think that they can compete? You know, as I said on Guest Friday last week, it, it appears that the front office and the people in charge still think that this team can compete. So it probably isn't likely that you see them, you know, sell off a lot of guys. You know, this is something that uh, Ken Rosenthal reported um, on The Athletic yesterday. Um, and one of the things he was saying is that uh, the Red Sox are not likely to be pure sellers. Um, and he also, he then also says um, that the Red Sox are seeking major leaders in return for rentals, such as J.D. Martinez and Christian Vasquez. Um, so, you know, that report is kind of interesting. That tells me that perhaps the the Red Sox um, may not be a team that just sells everyone off. You know, I think that one of the interesting things about J.D. Martinez is, you know, it's very possible he just played his last game at Fenway. But, you know, I think that based on the season that he's had so far, um, it may not be that the Red Sox can get a great return for him. And I think, does the, do, do the Red Sox think that hanging on to him makes more sense than trading him for a return that's probably not going to be great? You know, I think that honestly they could get more value for a Christian Vasquez or a Nate Evaldi. Um, I think Evaldi obviously has had plenty of problems since he came off the injured list, but he's an excellent postseason pitcher. And I think that that could help a team specifically in the National League. Um, you know, it is interesting though, J.D. Martinez also is a very strong postseason player and a team, a team in the National League could definitely use a bat like his um, or a team in the American League. You know, it could be that the Red Sox make a move like that. But, you know, that, that report tells me that you know, maybe they sell one of those guys, but maybe they don't sell all of them um, and try to see if they can still compete. Um, because they think that where you're standing right now, three and a half games is not, you know, insurmountable. Three and a half games with 59 games to play. It's entirely possible that the Red Sox can get hot, but, you know, there are plenty of teams that are also in the race too. You know, you look at teams like Baltimore and Chicago and Cleveland um, and Tampa Bay and Toronto and Seattle. You know, those are all teams that you're going to have to contend with. And, you know, the Red Sox don't have a great division record. And I think, sure, the hope is maybe they can get everyone back healthy. But, you know, they haven't exactly played well against the division, even when guys have been healthy. And, you know, if they're not fully healthy. You know, Trevor Story is probably still going to be out for a period of time, you know, Chris Sale, we're probably not going to see him before the end of the season. I'd be very surprised. So, you know, obviously it's a big decision time and, you know, the deadline's tomorrow, but 
I'll be honest, I'm going to be surprised if they make a major move like, let's say, trading for Josh Bell or trading for, you know, a big-name player. They're probably not going to do anything like that. You know, if anything, they're just going to make some small moves. You know, maybe they make a move to get a similar player like Kyle Schwarber, someone that can hit for power and someone that can actually play first pace. Um, so I think, you know, who knows? They could make some moves like they did last year and the moves turn out to be really good and they help, they end up helping the team make it to the playoffs. But, you know, a lot of these are a lot of these rumors. It's kind of hard to make a definitive decision as to you know what you think is going to happen. But I do think the most likely thing is you know one of Martinez, Vasquez, and Evaldi gets traded, um, and then the Red Sox make some small moves, see if they can you know make some moves to see if they can stay uh, competitive. But you know maybe also trying to make the most of a return for. Uh, one of the guys that are going to be free agents at the end of the season. So, you know, taking a look at the team's play at the moment, you know, the Red Sox, uh, three and seven in their last 10, they uh, did salvage a split with Cleveland uh, last week and then dropped two out of three to the Brewers over the weekend. Red Sox winning yesterday, seven to two. So, you know, it's kind of just been more of the same with this team, you know, um, inconsistent bats, inconsistent pitching, you know, inconsistent lineups really with guys being hurt um, and some of the younger guys having to pitch. Um, I do think that uh, Brian Bayo, um, in relief in that Friday night game against the Brewers, um, actually pitched pretty well. Um, so that was at least encouraging that he was able to pitch uh, four and a third and pitch. You know, he did get hit with the loss, but I think he pitched a lot better than he had in the, his previous outings. Um, so that's at least something to feel good about. Cutter Crawford um, has pitched really well over the last month of July. Um, Josh Winkowski, I thought, pitched well yesterday. Um, so I think that, you know, clearly it's difficult to find the, uh, the positive with this team, but I think that there still are positives there um, with the Red Sox sitting where they are, 51 and 52, with uh, 59 games to go, which is kind of hard to believe that there are that many games left, but... You know, who knows? I think, um, you know, as we've said, injuries have been a huge problem. And, you know, believe it or not, the Red Sox are kind of still somewhat in contention. You know, and I think that it's still possible that this team could compete. You know, I think that you get on a hot run, you know, anything can happen. You know, really are two months left in the season. You could have a hot August. You know, you could have an opposite August to what you had July and, you know, September 1st, you're back in the wild card chase. Um, but it just kind of seems unlikely with how inconsistent this team has been um, really since that stretch of games in July uh, before the all-star break against uh, Tampa Bay and the Yankees when they you know went four and ten um, and then just were just as bad out of the gate after uh, the all-star break. Um, so I think, you know, we'll see how they uh, approach the deadline. But I think that, again, as Ken Rosenthal is reporting, don't expect them to be full sellers. Don't expect them to be, you know, trading everyone and really embracing kind of youth movement. Um, you know, they'll probably trade one of those popular players, I guess, and then see, you know, what kind of return that they can get. Can they make some other 
small moves to maybe upgrade at first base, upgrade in the outfield, um, you know, take a look at a relief arm. You know, some of the guys that Evan and I talked about last week um, could be guys that can help the team. Um, and I think, again, I don't expect that they're going to be acquiring any sexy names. You know, they're not going to be trading for Juan Soto. They're not going to be trading for Shohei Otani. They're not going to be doing, you know, anything crazy like that. But, you know, who knows? You know, I really was convinced this team was going to be um, sellers, but it doesn't appear like that's going to happen, or that's at least what it kind of seems like at the moment. But, you know, who knows? Everything can change. So um, I think two guys that are definitely not going to be traded, uh, Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, you know, I think it's a definitely a, you know, polarizing subject talking about the two of them and, you know, the future of them with the team. And I think that that's something that I've tried to avoid for a while because, you know, some of the opinions I have might not be popular. But, um, you know, I think Bogarts is at a tough stage in his career because, you know, he's 29, he's about to be 30. And I think the Red Sox need to be careful to not overextend to, you know, overpay a player like that. And look, Xander's a tremendous player. He's meant so much to the city of Boston. You know, he's one of one of my, if not my favorite player on the team. But I think, you know, you have to be smart about extending him. And I think that, yes, clearly the one-year $30 million is definitely not what they should be doing. You know, clearly if they want to keep him, they need to be, you know, serious about it and, you know, be willing to kind of pay him market value. But at the same time, you know, you have a lot of other options right now on the team at shortstop. You also have some options of, you know, kids that might be close to playing the majors. You know, I don't really know how close, but it's like, it is interesting. The Red Sox have drafted a bevy of shortstops in the last couple of drafts. You know, and I'm not saying that like next year they're going to be ready to play. I know they should move on from Bogarts, but, you know, the signing of Story was interesting. You know, me personally, I would love to keep Story and Bogarts in the middle of the infield because I think at full health, you know, they are a really good duo. And then you add Endeavors. That's a great trio. So would I like Bogarts to return? Absolutely. Um, but I think that I don't want to be signing him for a crazy amount of money, you know, giving him a seven-year deal, pay him until he's 36, and then, you know, he has a drop-off in a couple of years. You know, as much as Xander is one of their best players, he's kind of had a drop-off this season offensively. And I think that, obviously, we're all hoping that it's just, you know, a blip and it's not anything serious. But that's one of the things you have to consider when you think about extending a player. And look, it is possible he could opt into the contract for next season. It's probably not going to happen, but, you know, signing the six-year deal that he signed a couple of years ago, you know, has the opt-out this offseason. So, you know, he could opt in, probably is going to opt out, and the Red Sox will have to, you know, try to negotiate and be serious about negotiating with him. Uh, it's not going to happen during the season. It's just not. Um, and I think that as much as people want to yell on Twitter about extending him, like they're not going to do it during the season. Scott Boris is not going to let the Red Sox negotiate during the season. Even if he said, he, even if he says he's willing to, I have a hard time believing what he says, but you know, I think from a personal standpoint, I would love the Red Sox to resign him. 
um, because I just think that, you know, you have Story, you have Devers, you want to keep, you know, a core of this team, you know, you don't want to be getting rid of talented guys and then, you know, hoping that your young guys can come up and be pro-ready, you know, I think that you want to have a safety net, so to speak. But I think, again, you know, signing Bogarts for a seven-year deal, that may not be a smart thing to do um, because it's like you have to think about the course of that contract. And, you know, for the most part, he's been a player that's been able to stay healthy. He's been kind of a stable force. But, you know, what happens if those power numbers continue to go down? You know, you have to consider some of those things. So I think if the Red Sox can get him done for a new deal, you know, three, four years, you know, pay him for, you know, what he should be worth, that's fine. But I just think like, when you're going beyond that, that's a little kind of worrisome to me that I think you want to make sure that you have, you know, the flexibility. And I think that that's kind of one of the key parts of you know, having high bloom here is he wants to maintain the flexibility to continue to be competitive for um, as long as possible. You know, clearly that didn't work this year, you know, based on what we've seen so far. But, you know, it's a it's a difficult kind of thing with Bogarts. I mean, me personally, I don't think it's difficult with Devers. Um, he's a guy that you need to sign long term. You know, you need to give him a pretty crazy amount of money, to be perfectly honest. You know, I don't think that I'm giving him $500 million dollars. I don't think I'm giving him Bryce Harper money. I mean, that's insane. But, you know, you would like to think that you can get him for double-digit years and, you know, at least upwards of $250 million. Um, You know, I think a lot of people were upset with the reports of kind of the contract comparable to Matt Olson, the contract that he signed a couple of years ago. I think it's Matt Olson. Um, the eight years, $169 million, which... I don't think, me personally, I don't think it was an offer. I think that was just literally a baseline of, you know, starting negotiations, which, you know, I think it's, a f I don't want to say it's a fair comparable because that's not exactly true, but it's like, it's not like the Red Sox are saying, here's, that's our final offer. It's like, I don't believe that that's what, what is going on. I think that, you know, Endeavor's confirmed that the Red Sox use that comparable, which I don't disagree with, but I don't believe that that actually was an offer. I think that may have just been, you know, a starting point for negotiations that, you know, I don't know, you know, who, who knows what, what the case is with that. But I think from a personal standpoint, you have to keep Devers. Um, there's really no other way to slice it. This is not really a player that you should be messing around with. Um, you should be signing this guy. You should be doing it this offseason. You know, I don't believe signing guy. I don't believe in signing guys to new contracts during the season. That's just not something that I think is a good idea because I think it affects because I think it affects the play on the field. And I think that that's the last thing that you know contract negotiations need to do is to create distractions. So, but I do think Devers is a guy that you need to give kind of crazy crazy-ish money to because you want to keep him around. You want to keep him in Boston for as long as you can. You know, he's a great kid, a lovable kid, and I think loves Boston. Boston loves him, and I think that it would not be right if they dealt him. I just think that clearly, yes, 
the Red Sox are not afraid of dealing, you know, big time star players. But you know, Devers is a guy that they just I I would personally would not be okay if they didn't bring him back, didn't sign him to a big long term deal. I think that it would frustrate a lot of people. So I think it's just made sense to give my opinion on those two guys. Um, but I think looking at this year, you know, I think that hopefully you can get Devers back on the, the off the injured list and he can kind of spearhead a, a turnaround for this team and possibly they can make the playoffs. There's still a lot of time left in the season. So, you know, who knows what we'll see. Taking a look at the Red Sox upcoming schedule, you know, I'd mentioned that they're on a road trip for the next uh, week or so. The Red Sox are in uh, Houston for three games starting tonight. Nate Evaldi goes tonight, potentially his last uh, outing for the, well, was like, potentially his last outing with the Red Sox. Um, then the Red Sox will have a four-game series in Kansas City before coming home for a couple games with Atlanta, a makeup game against Baltimore, and then a set, three-game set against the Yankees. So it'll be interesting to see how the Red Sox do on this trip. You know, Houston, one of the best teams in baseball. Kansas City, one of the worst teams in baseball. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they do. You know, Houston, clearly, if the Red Sox want to be considered a playoff team, you probably got to win two of these games. So It'll be interesting to see how they do against the Houston team that, you know, next to the Yankees is one of the best teams in the American League. It's really just them and the Yankees. So it'd be a good opportunity for the Red Sox to see, you know, if maybe they still can feel like they can contend and then, you know, set against Kansas City. Kansas City, obviously, not a very good team. So see how they do against those two teams. So... Let's see. We'll move on. I believe we're going to move on and talk a little bit about the Celtics. Um, obviously, the, the Celtics family and the NBA family was um, saddened by the news of uh, Bill Russell's passing uh, yesterday. So, you know, I think it makes sense to to talk about um, talk about Bill and talk about his his legacy. You know, talking about his legacy in the NBA, sport to the sport of basketball, the city of Boston to um, even just the world, you know, not even him as an athlete, but, you know, the things that he did off the court, you know, a pioneer in the, the, this, the fight for, for civil rights in this country. And I think, um, you know, a lot of times we, I don't know, we, uh, we forget about, you know, someone's greatness after, you know, they haven't played a sport for so long, you know, I think so many of us are caught up in, you know, having debates about, you know, the greatest of all time. And, um, you know, Bill Russell just played in a, played in an era of the NBA that I think so many of us have a hard time, you know, fathoming guys that were great in that era and thinking, oh, you know, they could never be good in this era. But it's like, I'll tell you, when you watch highlights of Bill Russell and you watch him you know, how athletic he was for a guy his size, he absolutely could be a very good player in today's NBA. You know, I think that we all remember him being the consummate winner, you know, winning 11 championships in 13 years. I mean, that's something that is just, you know, unheard of. I don't think that's ever going to happen again um, in professional sports. Um, 
but just the way that he was able to affect winning, you know, and I think we all certainly remember how great he was in the basketball court with, you know, all the accolades, 12-time All-Star, 11-time champion, 5-time MVP, um, you know, 11 times All-NBA, you know, widely regarded as one of the greatest players to ever play, but, you know, just the, the things that he did off the court, the the way that he affected people um, in such a way that, you know, it just was so positive. And I think considering all the things that he had to deal with throughout his NBA career with racism in Boston or anywhere else, and the fact that he still was able to, to play, at a high, play at a high level and prove himself um, is just that much more impressive. And then, you know, post-playing career still being a great ambassador for the game of basketball and for the NBA, you know, I think still being someone that was around the great events in the NBA, whether it was the all-star game or the NBA finals or things like that, you know, you always saw him being a part of these things. And I think that's, what's so great about the NBA family and the NBA community that, you know, the, the legends give back. And I think that that's what makes that's what makes this sport so rich in history and so much fun to follow because you have these legends that you can watch their highlights, but then they also, you know, give back to the sport and give back to the game that, you know, they played and they loved so much. So, um, you know, it truly was um, a sad day for a lot of us in, in Boston and, you know, the NBA community, but I think you know, remembering and, and celebrating Bill's life and, you know, how much he meant to the NBA, how much he meant to basketball, how much he meant to the world of sport, how much he meant to, you know, just the world in general. You know, I think uh, truly just, just an icon and a legend, you know, really the only way that you can uh, refer to him. So, you know, it just was great to see the outpouring of love from so many different players and organizations and teams and you know, recognizing that not only did he do so much for the, you know, the Boston community and the Celtics, but he did so much for the NBA and the civil rights movement and so many different things. So, you know, definitely was uh, hard to get that news yesterday, but I think that, you know, he will live on and he'll live on forever. You know, hundred years from now, people are going to be talking, still talking about Bill Russell. And, you know, if, they don't talk about his basketball career, you know, that's fine. You know, what the heck is the NBA going to look like in a hundred years? But I think just knowing that, you know, he is a person, he is a human, totally, you know, transcends the game, transcends time, and is going to be someone that's going to be remembered forever. So, um, you know, thank you, Bill. Thank you uh, for everything uh, that you did for the Celtics organization. Um, and for the NBA, will be truly missed. So I think there were a couple of other uh, Celtics notes that I thought made sense to address. You know, obviously we talked last week about the uh, the trade rumor that uh, kind of popped up about Kevin Durant. And, you know, obviously as we were recording, you know, Jalen Brown tweeted out the SMH, which I think we're still unsure what that exactly meant but i think you know clearly according to some sources you know some really uh sources that are very close to the celtics and close to jalen you know reiterated that he does want to be in boston and i think 
you know, recognizes that he will almost always be a part of, you know, these rumors. And I think you just will have to understand that it just comes with the territory. And um, again, I think it's reiterating from some sources that he does want to be in Boston. He loves it here and, you know, loves the team. And I think there's really no reason to be concerned about him long-term, you know, and I think, sure, he's, you know, up to be a free agent in two years, but I think at the moment, there's no reason to believe that he's unhappy or anything, you know, so that at least was a relief, you know, great relief to hear Jason Tatum, you know, make similar comments last week, you know, talking about that he loves the group and, you know, really is kind of the most important thing. And I think, you know, those rumors are always going to be rumors, but I don't really think there's much truth. I think especially at the moment, you know, the Celtics clearly are gearing up to go, to try to go back to the finals with this group that they got. And I think that they have a good group. And I think that, you know, as I said last week, it just, to me, is not worth the risk uh, to make that trade. Um, You know, whether it's the initial trade offer or if it's something else with Marcus Smart, I mean, that's, me personally, that's kind of where I draw the line. You know, you, you want to do Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant, that's a conversation. I'm still not doing that trade, but I think you bring in Marcus Smart, absolutely not. You know, I just think that you've spent a good amount of time kind of building up this group, and this group finally was able to show you that they can reach an NBA Finals, and it's just like you have now put, put, back, put, put together a group that I think is just as good as last year's group, if not better. And I think this team is an opportunity to get out of the gates running and have a really spectacular season where they don't have to go 33 and 10 at the end of the year, you know, to be in a great playoff spot. You know, this is a team that playing to their best of their ability, 60 wins is not crazy. So, you know, I think that, as I said, you know, kind of gave my opinion on the whole you know, idea of trading for Kevin Durant a couple times, um, you know, even before that rumor came out, um, just don't think it, don't think it makes sense. So uh, we're just going to move on, I think, talk a little bit about the Bruins, uh, not a whole lot of news, you may have noticed on some uh, social media pages that uh, Tugarask and uh, his wife, um her name is escaping me at the moment, uh, got married over the weekend um, in Italy and plenty of uh, current and former Bruins, you know, at the at the celebration. So you may have seen uh, some videos of some guys dancing, just, you know, guys being dudes, as they say. Um, so that was definitely, you know, cool to see. Cool to see guys like Krejci, obviously, Tori Krug, uh, Milan Lucic, uh, Sean Thornton, uh, Brad March and Patrice Bergeron, obviously, uh, just so neat. You know, I think that that was a really cool kind of thing that, you know, obviously there's not much happening with the Bruins in particular, but it was cool to kind of see that. Uh, one of the things I did want to talk about the Bruins, it's been reported that the Bruins and Pavel Zaka are, um, you know, close to coming to terms with a new deal. Um, the Bruins obviously acquired him the first day of free agency in a trade with uh, the Devils for Eric Halla. So, I thought it makes sense to kind of look at what type of contract the Bruins might be giving him. You know, I think that made $2.25 million over the last three years. I think it's likely the Bruins are going to give him three years. Um, I think that 
he's a guy that I think is still young enough. You know, it's wild. He's still only 25, but he's been in the league for six seasons. Um, you know, the Bruins want to lock him up. I don't want to say long-term, like not, I don't think they need to be giving him like a five-year deal or anything like that. But I think, you know, giving him a three-year deal makes a lot of sense to, you know, give him an opportunity, you know, change of place, uh, change of scenery, you know, and see if he can get more from a guy like this. And a versatile guy who, you know, can play center, can play the wing and, you know, had a pretty solid year last season, had a pretty solid year in 2020-21, you know, the 56-game schedule. Uh, he played in 50 games and had 35 points, which, you know, I think extra extrapolate that out to an 82-game season, you know, that might be close to somewhere in the 50s. So he's a young guy that I like the Bruins taking a chance on him. Um, so he is going to, or he is scheduled to do salary arbitration. I think the Bruins could agree to a deal to avoid that. Um, the arbitration hearing, I think, is scheduled for um, August 11th. So be curious to see if that date comes um, and he still doesn't have a contract. So I think, you know, most likely that you see him a cap hit of like 3 million, you know, maybe 3.5. Um, I think that... I don't know what, like, you know, and I probably should have looked this up beforehand, but I'm not totally sure how arbitration works. I'm pretty sure that it's like the player comes up with a number, the team comes up with a player, there's a mediator um, or a, an arbiter, I should say, um, that comes to, or they, you know, come to an agreement on a contract that makes sense. So, you know, hopefully that can go off without a hitch. Um, but I think you could see three million, three and a half million. Uh, for three years. That's what my guess would be. So, you know, hopefully the Bruins can get that uh, figured out. You know, clearly I think there's a lot of things that still need to be figured out with this team and trying to fit in Patrice Bergeron and potentially uh, David Krejci. You know, I think that it's assumed that the Bruins are going to try to fit both of those guys under um, the salary cap. But I think, you know, we'll see. Hopefully that that can happen. Um, other Bruins news, the Bruins announced last week um, the team's game schedule for the uh, 2022 Prospects Challenge. The Bruins, uh, some of their prospects will compete in um, some games against other teams' prospects. The Bruins um, have three games, Friday, September 16th against Ottawa, Saturday, September 17th against Pittsburgh, and then Monday, September 19th against Boston. Um, all these games are in Buffalo at the Harbor Center um, in Buffalo. So seventh consecutive year the Bruins have done this. Um, so most likely you're going to see a lot of their, you know, prospects, probably some guys that were drafted this year. So, you know, early opportunity to see some of the younger guys like Quatra, Cole Spicer, you know, some of the picks the Bruins had in, in this year's draft. So It'll be exciting to see what those guys have. You know, obviously it's hard to take any big, take anything big away from that. But I think uh, it'd be a great opportunity for some of the uh, the younger guys to be able to get um, an opportunity to play. You know, I don't want to say play an NHL game because it's not really an NHL game. But I think having game experience, you know, whatever that's going to be, because you know most of these guys are probably going to go back to playing with their junior teams, playing with the U.S. Uh, national development team, you know, wherever those guys came from, 
um, they'll be going back to play. So I think it would be good opportunity for those guys to just get some game experience and an opportunity for the Bruins, you know, front office to be able to see them in kind of a game situation with the team. So curious to see what we, you know, hear from that challenge. It's always interesting to hear some things about some of the younger players. So last little Bruins thing, and I think we've talked about it plenty throughout the summer is the Bruins clearly need to, um, you know, probably move some salary to make um, some of the contracts work, you know, assuming that Bergeron and Krejci are still in the Bruins' plans. Um, you know, I think I've kind of gone back and forth in terms of if they should move a defenseman, and I do think that, unfortunately, the injuries to Grizzlick and McAvoy kind of make it complicated where it might not make sense to trade a defenseman if you're already going to be down two of your better defensemen. It makes more sense to just keep around someone like a Mike Riley or um, a Connor Clifton. You know, if you're trading Clifton, you're not really saving a lot of salary. He only makes a million against the cap. But I think just considering your defensive situation, it probably makes more sense to look at forward a forward or forwards. You can move, you know, Nick Foligno's obviously making 3.8 million against the cap. I think we all would see that we all would like to see the Bruins trade him, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be happening. You know, the Bruins didn't buy him out. You know, I think that looking at Someone like Craig Smith, he probably is the most likely guy that could get moved. You know, maybe there's an outside possibility that the Bruins could move Jake DeBrusque, but I really don't think, you know, if they haven't moved him by this point, I don't think they're going to move him. And I think they want to see how he does with the new coach. You know, I think that Craig Smith, Tomas Noshek are probably the two guys that could get moved. Is Does one of them get moved? Do both of them get moved? I think that in all honesty, Smith is probably the most likely to get moved with, you know, the 3.1 million he makes against the cap one more year. You know, the Bruins could, you know, save a little bit of money there. You know, the Bruins really at the moment only have a little under 5 million, and I don't think it's going to be enough to be able to sign Zaka and Krejci and Bergeron with, you know, Bergeron and Krejci probably going to make, you know, some incentives on their deals, but there's some math I think that they have to do to make that work out. I don't know the full situation on that. Ty Anderson uh, on a podcast last week, you know, knows a lot more about the like bonuses and overages and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, he's a great resource if you're curious about uh, the Bruins cap space in terms of like the performance bonuses and things like that. Cause I think there's something like, there's some weird math in there that the Bruins have to be, you know, under a certain amount. So, you know, again, you know, defense, that doesn't really seem like it's going to be something that is going to be moved. You know, maybe Mike Riley gets moved, but I think that you want to have as many defensemen as you can with, you know, Grizzly and McAvoy being out for a good portion of the start of the year. Um, moving on to the revolution, taking a look at... Uh, Revolution, who took on uh, Toronto FC at Gillette Stadium on Saturday night. You know, it's uh, just another game where the Revolution kind of, you know, had some opportunities and, you know, they're in a position where they really need points. You know, and we talked about this last week, you know, it's, it's fine when you're, you know, getting points, you know, that's okay. But if you look at where they are in the playoff positioning, the Revolution are 
in ninth place in the East and two points out of seven, the, the seven seed in the Eastern Conference, which is, you know, top seven teams make the playoffs. And, you know, clearly the, the one-point games are not going to help you. You know, you need to start getting three points. And I think that Saturday night's game was not a game where it was like, oh, my God, they had like a million unbelievable chances it couldn't score. You know, they had some good chances, you know, really seemed like for the most of the part of the second half, they were playing defense, you know, yielded a penalty kick, which was probably the, the worst penalty decision I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, Matt Polster uh, steps in to, you know, stop, try to block a shot and the Toronto FC player, you know, kicks his leg and somehow Polster gets called for a foul and Toronto's awarded a penalty kick, you know, unbelievably Petrovic makes the save. He's been incredible, you know, made some huge saves on Saturday, including the penalty kick. I mean, that was an unbelievable save, you know, and he's been unbelievable since coming over, um, joining the revolution, you know, the revolution not missing a beat at all, losing Matt Turner. So, you know, he's been one of the huge positives over the last couple of weeks with this team, but they need to start getting points. You know, you can't continue to drop points, especially at home, considering the position that you're in. So, you know, something needs to change. They need to start capitalizing. Um, Giacomo Veroni made an appearance for the Revolution on Saturday. I think that he had appeared in a previous game, so this wasn't, you know, his debut or anything. It may have been his home debut, but he got a great opportunity late in the game with a, a cross, um, across the goal mouth. Um, he just couldn't direct it into the net, but that was a tremendous opportunity, probably the Revs' best chance in the game. Um, but I think, you know, clearly they need to be able to capitalize, you know, Gustavo Bowes missed the last two games with an injury, but it's like the Revs can't just rely on him to score, you know, Vironi, I think as much as you want to give a guy time to be able to acclimate himself, like the revolution need him to start scoring goals. They need, you know, the guys who are in the lineup, they need them to start scoring because, you know, you don't want this to get to a point where you have to win one of your last couple of games to get to the playoffs. Like, I think the Revolution would prefer that they don't have to do that. You know, obviously you want to win every game you play, but it's like they can't get down to one of those high-pressure situations where you have to win. Like, they need to start piling up points now. Um, and it's just a little concerning that you've had some home games here and there that the team has lost uh, when you've lost leads late in games that... You know, you should have won some of these games. You know, the road games are going to be what they're going to be. You know, I think that it's great when you can get a point on the road, but it's like, you know, they're in a position where one point is not going to, it's not going to get them into the playoffs. They need to start getting three points in games. So, you know, hopefully that can happen in the near future because they're kind of running out of games. Like they have 12 games left in the season and, you know, two points out of the playoffs. It's not you know, the worst situation to be in, but I think that you want to be in a better position than you are right now with, you know, where you are in, on August 1st. So, you know, hopefully that improves. The Revolution can start to get some goal scoring. You know, defensively, I think that they've made some strides. You know, clearly having Petrovic back there has been huge. He's been unbelievable in some games, but, you know, you have to be able to help him out on the other side. You know, you have to be able to score goals to you know, have a team that's effective enough to win games. And that's really just kind of the end of the day that 
you know, you got to score goals. The name of the name of the game in, in sports is to score more points than the other team. So hopefully the Revolution can, you know, find the back of the net more consistently in the next few weeks. Uh, the Revs do have an upcoming match this week on Saturday. It's a road match against Orlando City SC. Orlando City, I think, is in fifth place at the moment in the East. So the Revolution do have their work cut out for them. You know, playing a team that's pretty good. The Revolution will play DC United August 13th. That will, will be their next game. So I think that that will probably do it, talking about the local teams. We're going to get to some notes from around the um, other pro sports leagues. Uh, Major League Baseball, obviously, the trade deadline is tomorrow. The uh, Cincinnati Reds trading Luis Castillo to the Mariners a couple of days ago. So that's kind of the, the major move that's made, been made already. Um, a couple of other notes. Uh, Jacob deGrom is scheduled for his season debut against the Nationals uh, on Tuesday. So it'd be good to see him back in the fold. I know uh, Eric Bellier is probably super excited about that. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, his x-rays are negative, but the uh, Mariners have placed him on the injured list, he's had an unbelievable rookie season. Uh, it was great at the home run derby, if you caught any of that. Um, taking a look at where things stand on the uh, eve of the trade deadline, uh, the standings not really changed much in the American League. Uh, the Yankees are still blowing everyone out of the water, 69-34, and 34, although uh, Houston is kind of breathing down their neck for the top or for the top spot in the American League the Astros are 67 and 36 uh, 12 games ahead of Seattle in the AL West the Yankees are 11 and a half ahead of Toronto who have been playing a lot better baseball since the firing of their manager uh, Red Sox still currently in last a half game back of the fourth place Orioles in the American League Central Minnesota leads by a game over Cleveland and two games over Chicago uh, things could get very interesting in that division uh, with all three teams, you know, battling for a division, division crown, but also for a playoffs or a wild card spot as well in the National League. The uh, Mets have won six in a row and they are three games up on the Braves who are have won three in a row. Philadelphia has also won five in a row, so they're uh, playing better recently. They're still nine and a half back of first place um, in the National League Central. The Brewers have some breathing room, a three-game lead over the Cardinals. In the National League West, the Dodgers playing some great baseball as of late. They lead the West by 12 games over the Padres, taking a look at the wild card spots. In the American League, you have Toronto in the first spot, followed by Seattle and Tampa Bay, and then you have Cleveland trailing by a game and a half, the White Sox by two and a half, Baltimore by three, and then the Red Sox by three and a half. In the National League, the Braves lead the wild card chase. They have that first position followed by the Padres, and then the Phillies, and then you have the Cardinals one game back, and the Giants are four games back. So taking a look at the NFL, obviously training camps have opened there was an announcement this morning that uh, Deshaun Watson has uh, been given a six-game suspension for violating the uh, NFL's uh, 
personal conduct policy following accusations of sexual misconduct. Um, so I think this six-game suspension comes from a disciplinary officer. So there's a possibility that this punishment could be changed uh, by the NFL and Roger Goodell. I think they have a timeline of three days that they can choose to appeal the decision. And I'm assuming make the suspension longer because that's what it should be. It's kind of um, embarrassing that this is a, a six-game suspension. You know, I feel like this league is so inconsistent with its rulings for player misconduct and specifically player misconduct that, you know, involves the, the treatment of women, which is just, it's just disappointing at the end of the day. And it's just, you know, we're, we're basically saying here, um, I don't mean to get, you know, graphic, but it's like we're giving, we're giving a player a one-year suspension for gambling and gambling a small amount versus giving six games to someone who is, you know, <laughs> accused of sexual misconduct. It's just like, I feel like there are certain things that need to be taken more seriously than, you know, other things. It's just, and that's what I mean, why it's so inconsistent, you know, the league, and I don't mean to bring Deflategate into this, you know, being a Patriots fan, but it's like, you're giving a player four games for allegedly doctoring footballs, and it's like, I'm sorry, they never proved that he actually did it. All they could come up with, oh, it's more probable than not. And it's like, I mean, I guess, but it's like, you give a player four games for that. So you're giving a player two extra games for, you know, sexual misconduct. And it's like, I don't know. I just, it's so inconsistent and it's so kind of embarrassing that it's just, you know, I, I don't get it. I just really don't understand it. So um, that's just my, my thoughts on it. But, you know, it is, it's kind of shocking because I think that there are a lot of teams um, that are, that expected this to be a lot longer. And a lot of people are surprised that it's only six games. And, you know, if that's what it is at the moment, it could change. You know, I, I know the league would, was pushing for a year suspension, which really is what it should be. But I just think uh, if we're not starting at eight games, I mean, that should have been the starting point, you know, missing half a season, you know, really should be a full season. Um, it's just annoying that um, the, like the, the punishment or the suspension handing out has been so inconsistent and, you know, yeah, that's really just what it is. Um, some other notes from around the league, a couple of uh, retirements, Ryan Kerrigan in Washington. And oh, there was another player and I'm going to be really embarrassed that I forgot the other player. Um, but Kerrigan, obviously a big time player for, uh, Washington for many years. I think had been with that organization his entire career. Um, a couple of other kind of free agent news. The 49ers agreeing to terms with um, Devo Samuel on a new deal, and then the Seahawks also giving uh, DK Metcalf a new deal. So both of those guys are under contract. Um, and yeah, I think that probably it for Notes from around the NFL, obviously, training camp is in full swing. Uh, the NFL Hall of Fame game 
believe it or not, is uh, Thursday night on NBC, Jacksonville against Las Vegas. So it's always interesting to pay attention to that game. You know, usually people are starved for football, so they are gonna. They usually are excited for a game like that. So yeah, you can tune in to watch that on eight o'clock on Thursday night. Um, some notes from around the NHL, a couple of other kind of free agent news. Uh, John Klingberg signing a one-year deal with the Ducks worth $7 million. Uh, Capo Caco agreed to a two-year contract with the Rangers. Uh, Matthew Joseph comes to terms with the Senators avoiding arbitration. Uh, David Quinn officially hired as the Sharks' new head coach. Um, and then a couple of like player jersey retirement or whatever you want to call it, the uh, Sharks retiring Patrick Marlowe's number 12. Um, that will be retired next season. And then the Kings retiring uh, Dustin Brown's number, I believe. And there's also reports that they are going to be uh, giving him a statue as well, which is kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, obviously a great career for him, you know, did a lot for the Kings and their organization, you know, helped bring them two championships. But a statue is a pretty big deal. So uh, kind of curious to see what that looks like when that the time comes. Um, some other um, NBA notes. Um, I believe that the Sixers are being looked at by the NBA for possible tampering. Um, and I think that I think that I just saw a report from the athletic that the uh, Knicks might be or the Knicks are looking in or the NBA is looking into the Knicks uh, potential tampering involving Jalen Brunson. So, the NBA was looking at the Sixers in terms of uh, James Harden and then their free agent deals with uh, Daniel House and P.J. Tucker. So, you know, I think that there were two teams last year that got picks taken away. I think it was the Heat and the Bulls that got t picks taken away because of uh, tampering with two different players. I think the Bulls, it was with Lonzo Ball and then the uh, Heat, it was with Kyle Lowry. So... You know, in all likelihood, teams are just going to lose draft picks. Um, but it is kind of interesting that, you know, it was incredibly interesting how, like, you know, a deal, like some of the deals came out so quickly that it was like, okay, you know, clearly there's something else going on here. So, um, you know, see what comes out with, with both of those probes. Um, so I think that's going to be it for, for me this week. Uh, we'll obviously be back with, uh, you folks later in the week when we talk to um, Andrew Lydon on Guest Friday about our uh, about our trip to Patriots training camp. So looking forward to letting you folks know about that. Um, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. You can listen on Spotify. You can uh, listen on Apple Podcasts as well. Give us a rating, a review. We really appreciate it. You know, helps me to. Um, just get to know what the what the listeners are thinking. So um, we'll be back with you folks on Friday. Have a great week, everyone.